Welcome to the Get Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Liz McGavro, and I'm obsessed with all things writing, creativity, and telling your stories in your authentic voice, because I believe a good story can change the world. Ever since I was a little girl with my nose in a book, I dreamed of being an author. I wanted to see my books in bookstores everywhere. I wanted to talk about books. I wanted to soak up everything about the craft. My celebrity crushes were mostly authors and I could feel in my bones that the writer's life was my destiny. Fast forward to today. Along with my alter ego, Kate Conti, I'm an Agatha Award-nominated best-selling author with three mystery series, but it wasn't all smooth sailing along the way. I experienced many setbacks, crushing self-doubt, a lot of career detours, and I even lost my voice a few times when I let the world get in my way. Until I learned that writing was so much more than just a skill set you learned and developed over time. It's also an inside job that flourishes when you heal all the wounds that are stifling your creativity, which is no easy task. So if you're a writer of any kind, or if you've always wanted to write but aren't sure where to start, this is the place for you, my friend. We're gonna talk about all things writing process, craft, strategies to help you get writing and stay writing, the daunting world of agents, editors, and publishing, And because I'm using my authentic voice, I'm going to throw in a little woo-woo for you too. So let's get writing, shall we? Magavro, and I have a really fun guest for you today. She's so delightful. I'm just really happy to introduce her to you. Her name is Lovisa Alson. I met her in a uh, course that we were both taking. She's also a writer. Um, she's an author. She's an entrepreneur. She teaches women how to get in touch with their feminine side, and she's even fluent in the Enneagram, which is so cool. I love the Enneagram, and I'm obsessed with it. So we, we talk a lot about that in this conversation as well. And she's really a special person, and she's got such a unique perspective on everything. Her work with the feminine is just beautiful, and so I'm really excited to introduce her to you. So here's a little bit more about her before we get into our conversation. Lovisa teaches women leaders and entrepreneurs how to access their feminine life force through embodied pleasure, power, and presence, connecting women with the glitter frequency. She combines feminine leadership with women's sexuality empowerment, and spirituality, waking women up to their highest selves built on being instead of doing. In her signature program, she guides women through a transformational path, offering a map and a framework of the importance of women, pleasure, and the divine feminine through history, philosophy, neurology, string theory, and the mystical realm, which includes awakening to the power of existence. She teaches women how to go from being burned out idealists to becoming turned on pragmatics. Today, she's focused on sharing her work to a wider audience, as well as becoming a teacher's teacher, and as her work deepens, bringing in the evolutionary practice of awakening feminine leadership and how it relates to the glitter frequency and being aligned with emergence and the optimization force. She's explored several somatic paths, including being a yoga, mindfulness, and tantric teacher, all of which she includes in her work with women. She's a longtime student of the Enneagram, as well as of the Diamond Approach. She's also a writer and an author. So... There she is. I can't wait for you to meet her. I hope you love this conversation. So let's get into it. 
Hi, Louisa. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Hi, Liz. It's <laughs> lovely to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, this is going to be fun. So before we just jump in, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself so they know who I'm talking to. Mm, okay, that's, that's always a tricky. <laughs> where, where do I even start? Well, um, I'm Swedish. Uh, I, li uh, I lived for 15 years in California, moved back almost eight years ago. So I'm kind of immigrated into my old country while keeping a lot of California in my heart and yeah, yeah heart and mind and soul. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, uh, I've, I've done, um, uh, I've traversed many, many fields, uh, started out, uh, started out actually with spiritual longing and then went, you know, went to traditional course and through academia and I became an economist and, uh, and was working in the business world and building companies and then moved on. Uh, to coaching and leadership, especially when I moved to the U.S. in San Francisco, which was a huge change, and um, but also just a continuous course of my development, really. So this this longing for developing, um, um, maturing, or but also deepening my spiritual practice has been with me uh, since I was a child. It, I just cut it off for many years when I was most in my career business mode and, you know, and, uh, and then I've been working with women for 20 years and, um, uh, through coaching and leadership, but more and more the inner workings of leadership, so self leadership, but also you can say spiritual leadership and more and more bringing in the body. So it's very, very, um, it's not only somatic, but it's really like, all our experiences coming through the body and awakening the life force in the body that is an essential and pleasure and 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 this has really come in the last i would say seven years this about i've always been about play and fun and and uh, we're also going quite deep but um but now it's been the and I'm also a yoga teacher, I should add, and I've done, I'm a mindfulness teacher. I've done trauma work. And so, so I've, I've, I've explored a lot with the body, but it's, it's really a deeper and deeper sense of the, the, the lived experiences inside the body and how it informs the rest of us. And, uh, yeah, so that's, uh, and yeah, and it's also a lot of, for women to really access uh, power, their inner power, which again comes through the body. So it's uh, and presence and mindfulness. It's really coming everything from the body. So and and then the writing has been with me also all my life. Uh, so that that that's been like the separate track of that has kind of started to kind of. Uh, come more and more into the foreground. So I love this. And I feel like this is probably why as soon as I met you in that course that we took together, I felt like we were kind of kindred spirits because I've always been like that seeker mindset too. The, ever since I was little, I was, you know, into crystals and all of the things. Right. Um, but, you know, I, I always got the message that that stuff was just frou-frou and, you know, nothing to really 
think about in real life, right? So you have to go do something that's um, more real or more realistic or, you know, you know, and so I ended up also in the, on the corporate track and was miserable there for <laughs> just a very long time, but always writing on, you know, as my other life as well. So I love the, I love the parallels there, but also we're complete opposites in the sense of like, I've always been not about fun because I was taught that fun was bad. Like fun was not why we're here. Right. And so I just started to realize over the past maybe seven, eight years, like how repressed my actual body is from all of that, the way I grew up in that regard. You know, I mean, I remember when I was probably like six or seven, I got kicked out of dance class. And ever since then, I've had this fear of like dancing. (laughs) I just can't do it. (laughs) And so I feel like I've been very, um, like repressed in that whole body experience and that whole fun experience. Like I used to, even in in my last corporate job when I had a team and they would be like, well, we, you know, we need to do something fun for whatever occasion. I'm like, I'm not fun. You guys go figure that out. (laughs) That is not my jam. (laughs) From what I know you, you're tons of fun, but (laughs) Hey, I'm getting better. online discussions but I just feel that within you oh well thank you I'm getting better and I think our conversations are helping well also I want to add when I came to San Francisco from Sweden I I did not experience myself as fun I I was really known I was not invited to a lot of parties (laughs) you know it's like I was so committed to to like work and and I was such an ideas person too and I was committed to change and work and and building things and and so for me it was really a big big shift came when I got into the San Francisco yoga scene and that was just exploding at that time and it was like wow and then from that they invited me to Burning Man and one tour to Burning Man it was like all right my life is different now and so I used to say before that everyone should have like one year of therapy, one year of coaching and one, one trip to Burning Man and, mm. <laughs> you know, getting a bit more perspectives on life. And so for me, that, that was really the combination that opened me up mm. to an embodied sense. And I even had body workers who gave me assignments because they thought I was so out of, um, my body and out of the feminine and and like you, you need to you're not you're essentially I was pretty dissociated so mm. it's been a long journey for me to come home to my body and I should add it's still that you know still a journey yeah yeah it was the same way I was very very much like the workaholic and you know that was something I felt like I could control so I would do the work you know because that was where I could at least know what I was doing kind of. And whereas I felt like other stuff, I didn't really know what I was doing. And then even when I was doing like work on myself, it was all very serious and very intellectualized and, you know, therapy and and all of that. It was never like, like you said, like in the body until I started to do yoga too, which definitely I need to get back to because I've been slacking. Yeah. You're hard on yourself. (laughs) I am. That is definitely still true. (laughs) So... So let's talk about writing a little bit. So it's not your first job, like you said, but it's something you've dipped your toe in and out of for many years. But today, like just even from our weekly conversations, I know your passion is totally reignited in the writing sphere and you're working on a book and, you know, you're really excited about it. So talk about your writing journey. Like, how did you start writing? Where do you want to take it? Yeah, in in a 
in a different life, I think I would have chosen full-time writing from the beginning. Um, and actually on my mom's side, it's a lot of journalists and uh, a kind of, yeah, my grandmother was a translator. And so there was a lot of writing and understanding of language, really, that, that kind of the play with language. And that's why I love to be kind of bilingual with Swedish and, and, and English because it's so much fun you know, the cadence of languages is like, uh, yeah, I, I, I so enjoy that. But in particular, it is for me, my love is English. And, and my, yeah, I, I'm, I'm good at Swedish because I was born here. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, well, the writing journey was, uh, I early on started writing um, fairy tales. And mm-hmm. I was obsessed with fairy tales. And that shifted then into fantasy. I mean, my first reading of uh, Lord of the Rings and, and, and all of that. And that was like these worlds that open up. And, um, and in a way, I've never changed. It's still my first love. And it's, I think, anything. And today, like with magic, fantasy, urban fantasy, and all of those genres are almost now again being it's not we kind of moved out of that stage too almost it seems like it's that's kind of fading but for me magic is i think that has to do with pleasure too because it's it's like can we and i i love um neil gaiman but also uh, lev grossman who wrote the magicians like where he was talking about that you can really use um, fantasy as a metaphor for working through difficult stuff and human development. And for me, my writing, since all that I teach in my, my passion is human growth, human potential, and, and you expressing that through writing and where I think fantasy is such a vehicle for. But that's not really what I, I have been writing blogs for years and then uh, I, I published a book in uh, that was actually in Swedish back in I, I had already moved to the US and so now we are in 2002 or three where I came to San Francisco and and that book was really about complexity science and the flow of society so it was it was kind of making making it a bit fun and light but talking about like where society is heading I used to be a futurist as well mm. so um and and it was a lot his ideas, and then I kind of made them more accessible and and added some pizzazz on my own. But it, it was a good way to get started on on getting my first writing out there. And uh, um, and then I actually finished a biography back in like a teaching aspect and a biography back in two thousand seven. Um, but because I was talking a lot about my family, I decided to not publish it. So, um, yeah. And then the book I'm working on now is um, is really about the work I do with women. And um, which, and I should add, I finished a book in 2018 and different things happened, but I, I'm now completing the book uh, and updating it in a way 
but also upgrading it to where I am at now. So it, it feels very juicy and very fun. Mm. Finally. <laughs> I love that. And I have to ask about the book about your family. Did you find that process healing, even if you didn't publish it? Um, I did. I worked with a British editor as I lived. Actually, at that point, I wrote it. I lived in L.A. then. And, and so we worked on on distance. Um, um, but it was it was really good for me to work through stuff. And she was, you know, she was pretty clinical. She was like a hardcore editor. But she it, it was. Yeah, she asked me questions to help me like clarify things. And and since I used half of the book was about my story and half of the book was a journey through the chakra system. And mm-hmm. so like I was seeing, so here here's how you can work through your chakra. Like, and here's my example of it. And 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 then essentially sharing a lot of my screw ups <laughs> and my mistakes and, and and somehow some of the insights I've made on the way, but also what how did I come to be in that way? And so uh, yeah, actually, I still think it's a good book. Uh, and at some point I might share it, but not now. So yeah. so to answer your question, yes, uh, it was. I love that because I've been thinking of something similar, kind of like a guide, you know, almost like a like a autobiography or like a memoir slash guidebook type of thing. That's been a project that's been cooking in my head for a bit. So we'll see. <laughs> mm, I would love to read that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. So your new book and your business is all about women getting in touch with their feminine side. So I've seen your shorter pieces, the, the writing that you've done for, you know, articles and blogs, and it's very poetic. Like, I just feel like it's just really beautifully written. So did your writing like help you tune into the side of yourself that's able to create these experiences for women or was it like vice versa? Did the work you, you did help enhance your writing? Um, I don't know. I, I, again, I think I had, so, so when I was back in LA, I, um, I was actually writing a video game and I needed a, um, that was kind of, it's deep breathing. So, and so I was really thinking it for veterans or so who had PTSD. But then I created a storyline which grew and then became something I worked on. But the, the, and and um, I actually met some some people in Hollywood who loved my writing because it was very kind of that you could actually put it into television or or film because it's that that's how I think it's because I've always had a seeing and I didn't know that my seeing could be translated into a writing that was seeing and that was also vis like visceral in the sense that it also would work for example being translated to film or television so so in a way i was again i was a futurist and i'm also trained clairvoyant like it's the seeing and but seeing the world through a certain lens i think i've always had but it was my years in, I was 15 years in California. It was really honing in and clarifying that seeing. But it really got enhanced through my writing when I started writing more fantasy. Like, it's like, for me, all those spiritual teachers, uh, many of them, my favorites come from like Rumi and Kabir and and uh, Hafiz, who are very kind of have that language and I 
I, and it gets me so inspired. It's like, I'm again, I'm being invited to, it's a different frequency. It's a higher frequency. It's a world of possibilities. And I think that's what I'm always trying to get it like to access that level through my writing, not only because someone who's reading it, but quite frankly, because it makes me feel better. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Sometimes I'm really depressed. It's actually nowadays I can look at my own writing. It's like, darn it, that was good. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I love that. I can see that too, because some of the stuff I read, I was like, wow, that's so just beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. So how do you use writing today in your business? Like, and how does that help you bring your message to the women that you're trying to reach? It's a good question. I'm still actually working on how to find a balance between, because I really like to take time to write. And again, coming to that point of poetry, but that takes much longer time. Mm -hmm. And then if you look at all the business advice, you should really connect with your audience and like give them what they want. And it's like, well, I'm, I'm really more about like, this is more like a spiritual path of, of, so what, what is really the great balance here? So I can't really say I'm, I'm using it that deliberately. I've just happened to um, teach what I love the most. And, and, and in that sense, the writing comes too. But I am thinking of, I, I actually need to be a bit more deliberate or intentional about what I'm sharing. But it's, it's not really, it's like, I really want to share about my deepest thoughts and, <laughs> and like the deepest mysteries of the universe. That's where they chooses. And, and yeah, but it's, it's, it's a bit of a journey. <laughs> yeah. Well, so along those lines, so I, I think I've said to you a few times, like your writing feels really authentic to me. And so, you know, did you have to, I feel like that is also a journey to get to the place of being able to do that. Right. So you can't hold back, but still be authentic at the same time. So was that a deliberate, um, practice that you, you know, that you really wanted to make your writing show more of yourself? Is it a combination of the seeing that you talked about before, or is it really just how you've, how far you've come on your journey at this point? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, I think it's a bit of a mix. Um, personally, I love truth tellers. It's, it relaxes my nervous system and, and I can also feel it touches me. There's something that feels really grounding, uh, around, um, experiential truth and where it's again, deeply embodied. That's I can, I can, I recognize authors who operate in that realm and it, it's, it's kind of strange that you can actually do that and write fantasy, but I, I think it can be combined. Um, but, um, yeah, it, it's such a, it's such a longing for me to, and again, I think I'm writing also what I love to read. Um, so, and I've worked a lot to get to this point where how can I be really vulnerable and, um, in a sense, put my heart uh, on the table and letting others not only see it, but judge it and maybe cut it open um, and still keep wanting to do that. 
and and the the spiritual path I'm walking is really teaching uh, us to stay embodied, like recognizing um, that that is um, yeah. like there is a holding in even at that level of sharing, at that level of vulnerability, um, there is that holding. And um, yeah, for me, that really matters. And I think it's also today when we have also on social media where everyone is kind of more or less, you know, here's all the trauma I have and here are all the therapies I've done. And, you know, here is how screwed up I am. Like, uh, and, and I think in that sense that that might not always be even the most authentic uh, description because if you're doing it to get more followers um, and and here I can feel again like I'm being touched like for for me and I don't it's just I can't really operate that way because it's it's too uncomfortable but I get why people do it because it is you know, a good way to kind of get eyeballs or whatever we call it. But yeah, I, I, for me, it is also spiritual practice of vulnerability was not something I started out. I worked so hard to learn how to let down my guard. And yeah, it's like a prize of entry into the deeper realms. And I take that seriously with playful uh, like yeah talking about the deep existential uh, questions and not taking ourselves so seriously yeah yeah I love that so you've also written for some really prestigious publications including the Huffington Post so how did you get started doing that and you know how much of a piece of your career has that been for you uh, it, it really wasn't that important. Uh, I had a friend of mine who was writing for Huffington Post, and this was the early days we are talking. I think I wrote my first post, maybe two, 2008. And so she just told me, like, yeah, just send in. And, you know, I didn't even think I referenced her even. Uh, <laughs> it was like, it was a good old day. <laughs> it's really good to just that. <laughs> Um, but I did, I mean, we were both focusing on women and, and uh, women's empowerment. So, and, um, and since I also had a bit of a business angle then, and, um, but I, I don't know, for some reason, they seemed to like what I was writing. <laughs> and, and I didn't, you know, I didn't do it for a long time and I didn't write a lot, but it's, and I, I was really touched by someone reached out to me on Facebook, uh, like a couple of months ago. And she said that what I wrote, she had um, printed that. I think that was maybe 2008 or 2011. I don't know. I wrote for a couple of years here. And she had it. She kept looking at it and, oh. you know, kept inspiring her. And I was like, and then I had to go and look it up. <laughs> it's like, I had no idea what she was referring to. So it's like, oh, my God, that was pretty good writing. Mm -hmm. uh, but it was, Yeah. Uh, and it was also where I was at that point. But um, so it didn't really, I, I mean, in some ways, I think it might, it might have given me more, um, because again, English is not my first language. So to be allowed, kind of to be accepted, and we didn't get paid, but, but you know, to get allowed and accepted to, to write for HuffPost was kind of a 
it was a big deal in terms of acknowledgement, especially for me using English as my second language. So, um, so maybe it meant actually more than I thought. That's a really good point that you just made about how you didn't even remember what you wrote, but that somebody was so touched by it that, you know, however many years later, they're still looking at it. And I think that's something that a lot of us writers need to remember is that we might think we're putting out crap or that something doesn't mean anything. We're just, you know, throwing something at the wall and or shouting into the wind or whatever it is. Um, but it could really be touching somebody. So we kind of, I don't want to say we owe it, but we, you know, we have a responsibility to share our words, because even if we think maybe they don't mean anything, somebody else might need them. Yeah. Yeah. And that is, that is such, I was really not shocked, but I mean, I mean, but I, I, I was surprised and deeply touched by her sharing how much that meant to her. And whenever she was feeling depressed or, or she looked at that and, and that, that was also such, I can get so in my own way and, never feeling I'm writing good enough and you know I keep rewriting and rewriting and you know all of that and never getting things finished and it's like being hard on myself and all of that and sometimes I think it's just also to putting it out there and uh, and trusting uh, in that writing and yeah and and also almost as an act of service an act of devotion even like if if we are coming from that deeper place, and I'm not, I I should add, I'm not doing that a lot of the time. But when I do, I do think it touches people in a different way. And yeah. Yeah, but you're right, though. It is an act of service. I remember, um, so I write mysteries, as you know, and, you know, sometimes it's easy to, to feel like, oh, you know, it's just something fun that I write. Like, it's not changing the world or anything, right? But I enjoy it, you know. But I remember, um, I think I was feeling down about some. I don't even remember. This was a while ago. But I think I was feeling down maybe about where I was in my career or something. And I, I got an email. It was like serendipity, right? That same day, I got an email from a woman who, you know, told me that she had been reading my book in the hospital while her mother had been in hospice and passing away and how the book like was a respite for her. And it, you know, helped her get through that difficult time. And I just remember being so touched by that, you know, and I, like, I never would have assumed that when I wrote my mystery and, you know, murdered a few people and, you know, had some animals in there playing around that, that somebody would resonate with it that much. But it's, you know, it was a good reminder that, yeah, somebody needed that escape for a while. Mm. Yeah. 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 And, and, and I think if it's any, anything I keep learning is that it's more our responsibility if, if, we are to have any responsibility, which we always can talk about. Um, but I, th I think it's, again, from a higher standpoint, not maybe from an ego structure standpoint, but from a higher standpoint, I do think if we have the capacity to write, if we have the longing to express ourselves through writing, to actually show up for sharing that writing too, and not being in our own way and... Uh, as I'm saying that, I'm giving that advice to myself. Sometimes what I'm speaking is way better <laughs> and how I'm living. And I was like, just want to add that. But it's so true. I love that. Thank you for saying that. Mm. 
Okay. So I feel like you've done everything and studied everything and know so much about so many things. And it's so cool. All the things that I, that I'm interested in and that I love. But so when I saw that you had a background in the Enneagram, I was like, Ooh, we got to talk about that because I love the Enneagram. I, I am obsessed with it. I feel like when I found that tool and learned a little bit more about myself, so many things kind of clicked into place for me. So talk about your background in that. Talk about what the tool is and not only like how we can use it personally, but I love thinking about how writers can also leverage the Enneagram, like in fiction or, or even nonfiction. I mean, it, you know, it can be used in so many ways, I think. Mm, mm, lovely. Yeah, can I just ask you, I don't think we really talked about this. Which, which Enneotype are you? I'm a six. That's right. We did talk about it. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Now I remember. Yours? I'm a six. And I remember like when I, when I first read the descriptions before I took the test, I was like, oh, I'm definitely going to be a four. And I'm almost equally a six and a four. I think there's like a two point difference, but I, I, I'm higher in the six. And I remember thinking like, oh, that sounds kind of boring. But, <laughs> but then when I was reading, like so many things started to make sense, right? Like I've always been so like against authority, but also a rule follower at the same time. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's, it was always this weird, like paradigm that I never understood until I read all about sixes and finally started to sink in. I thought it was just really cool. Like how it all, how it's so accurate. Well, um, I, the way I come, um, by the Enneagram was, uh, is, is really through, um, actually I, the first time I came across the Enneagram, uh, is it was back in LA and, uh, it was a guy I was crushing on who introduced me to the Enneagram and, and he, when I, I, I read it and I took the test, I, I came out as one and I felt that was really right. And, and yet maybe not entirely. It wasn't until I about, um, I think it was almost 10 years later when I was, had started the diamond approach and which is a one of the spiritual paths that I'm following and maybe my main spiritual path and which is um, depth psychology and depth spirituality in a, an embodied way. Anyhow, that, that is, it's also closely connected to the Enneagram. So uh, one of the um, foremost teachers in the world of the Enneagram is also a teacher in the diamond approach. And so I ended up having her, uh, when I joined the Diamond Approach in LA, and that's Sandra Matry. And and from the from that perspective, it, you can really say that the Enneagram is more of a spiritual tool, looking at the nine holes that we all have. Like it's, it's looking at what 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 aspects, um, what shadows you can, you can call it that we are kind of have that particular angle in our souls that are really steering our path and and our journey through that because uh, what i find so fascinating about the this this path is that it has a developmental arc so if you take almost any other personality test you can see oh i'm that and and i'm that or and maybe you can say oh it's great if you learn a bit about the other ones but here you're actually there is an arc of development so where the six is heading in different developmental like one is where you go where you evolve and one is where you devolve and and so and that's really fascinating because it really gives you a sense of where you can move 
uh, and how you can evolve. But also seeing the, all the nine enneatypes as like we're all, um, we, it really it's, it's meant that we can move through the entire, not, the, the, all the nine types and thereby like reach full, I don't know, full maturity or full realization or whatever we call it and, and uh, can be a profoundly deep tool of development. So, um, but anyhow, when I started the Diamond Approach and I had Sandra and, and then we actually were learning uh, the, uh, the Enneagram there. And then I came up to her and they, they don't really want it in, in the Enneagram. When you're learning that there is a test you can take and it might be right and it might not. So it's, it's not like all the others, they kind of, the tests are defining who you are. And this is like, mm, yeah, it might be, it might not be. <laughs> and it's, but it's, uh, for some people it's very clear. And for some people it's less clear. So I had gone around thinking, uh, thinking I was one, uh, wanting to be a seven, <laughs> the fun. Mm. <laughs> seven is the party person. Yeah. <laughs> I really wanted to be a seven. <laughs> so it's like, no, you, you might want to look at the eight. I was like, nope. Not doing that. That's that's where the psychopaths are. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not that. So the first one is called uh, the idealist, or there, there are different names for it. So I don't remember all the names. But one, the the idealist is and uh, uh, is is often one name that used for the one, uh, the first one that I thought I was, and the second is usually called the helper, uh, and. Uh, and uh, so, so usually the idealist is a lot of people who want to change the world, kind of. They want to do things better. But they also have usually a chip on their shoulder. So that, that's kind of uh, pretty hard on themselves, actually, also. Uh, so I, I kind of knew there were certain aspects of that didn't resonate with me. But the helper is, um, the second is a lot of women who... who both can identify with being the helper, but it's it has a particular flavor of a helper. Number three is um, achiever. The achiever, exactly. That's yeah. usually what it's called. And and here you can find actually a lot of precedents have been threes. Uh, they're usually very charismatic, sometimes a bit manipulative, but it has a lot of drive in the threes and. Uh, the force, the one you said you thought you were, and, and it's kind of also would be like, yeah, I recognize the six in you, but it's also the four is like a close call to that. That's, that's usually the, the creative uh, and, and or the individualist, I think is another uh, name for it. And usually creative uh, people who also are following their own path. And uh, sometimes there can be a bit of diva quality to the force, which is one reason why I didn't, wouldn't think you would be a four. Uh, uh, the fives are usually considered the, the academics or the scientists, the introverts. Um, I, I could, I'm definitely, when I'm not in my eight and when I'm more withdrawn, I'm more of a five. Uh, it's kind of where I devolve. So, but I really like five people. <laughs> it's like, you know, very solid, very grounded and, and very kind of trying to figure things out. And sixes, you explained uh, a bit about the six, uh, 
What do you, what yeah, loyalist. It's called the loyalist. The loyalist. And, and really the six is, is about that sense of like safety and security, which is something I think that I've been on a quest for my entire life, but always looking outside and not inside for it. And I think that's one of the bigger things I learned from the Enneagram is, you know, stop looking out there for it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and it's, um, the sixes are also very, very loyal. Uh, I mean, it is very true. It's really wonderful friends. And, um, yeah. So, uh, the sevens are, as I mentioned, the, the, they, 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 they go under, uh, I was going to say player, but <laughs> they actually, they sometimes are called the planner, which is not, um, many are, are not identifying because the sevens are really the, very lighthearted, usually very social in the world needing, but in the back of their minds, they're usually strategizing, planning of trying to figure out. They're also pretty much future leaning, which also why I thought maybe I had a bit of the seven and I'm actually have a seven wing, but it's, it's so you can have wings also on, on the Enneagram, but, um, but um, that also means that they're also trying to um, plan ahead, not always being in the now. So, as, um, so sevens have a journey of landing in themselves, um, but they are fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, you can also have a bit of Peter Pan, you can call it about you know, sevens can be a bit of Peter Pan kind of syndrome. Yeah. So eights are also called uh, sometimes a challenger, sometimes the leader or the defender. Um, they can be uh, the good side of the eights or the high side of eights because the Enneagram also works with, you can be at the high development of your Enneatype and the low development. And none of us are really good at any of these at a low development so that's also maturation but uh, uh, an eight that is at the high end is is a really good leader and um they have a, a large uh, zest for life kind of and um and they also are uh, uh, a bit uh, boneheaded <laughs> <laughs> And, and again, you, you can also see like Trump, I would say is, is most likely an eight. And, uh, so that's kind of at the low end <laughs> where you, where you have like, you, you can be very, you can use it in a bad way. Like, in the, so, so eights are like, that's why I didn't really want to be associated with that, but there are some really nice qualities. I, I want to make us, you know, make a stand for the good side. So they, <laughs> so, so, um, and then the nines, which are usually called the mediator and the ones that are usually really good to be around because they like everyone and they, uh, are supportive of everyone and they can really also see they can also be called the peacekeepers and because they can can see what um can take in everything and and also kind of a bit of chameleon chameleon however they can also totally lose themselves in others so mm -hmm. sometimes nines just it's not not that much happens with nine because they are so lost in out of body and you know and not really anchoring in themselves. So we all have a journey essentially. And uh, yeah, but it's a brilliant tool. 
Yeah. I actually started using it when I was plotting my last book just to, um, help me get a little deeper into the characters. So I assigned everyone an Enneagram number and I, you know, I had made sure I had some of the qualities kind of showing up in different scenes. So that was, that was a fun exercise. Oh, that's, I love that. That's a great mm. way. And, and actually even working with the different developmental levels, you, I, I, you can see like how much you can really build a character, like even a, a developmental level, how to move through that. And uh, yeah, because also I should add like for an eight, a movement of development is moving to two, which are usually very heart oriented. So, mm. and the two moves to four, which is moving more into like uh, going from being, you know, out there with the heart open to like, okay, where's my juice coming from and what do I want to do? And I think the four moves to six and, and then, so it's like, it's, we, we kind of kind of go through the whole Enya mm. and, and, but I would, and so you can actually include all the characters in, in yeah. uh, the Enneagram. But I love that you did that. That's brilliant. Yeah. And that's cool though. I've never heard it uh, described that way. Right. So I know you get your number, your main number, and then your wings and your, you know, the good part and the bad part and all of that. But I never thought of it as moving through the cycle into different, just all the different numbers. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's really the, the deeper spiritual goal is not to, I mean, we'll always be colored or imprinted on our any type where we came from kind of but to to learn how to see that we all we have all of these sides in us and we can all act out from a very low point and we can all learn how to mature and and see how that actually will um, um, take us to to whole different level of maturation that's I, th I, I love that because it's, it's, then it doesn't become, oh, I'm that and I can, then I can't do anything else. No, it's like, actually it's to keep moving through, keep understanding that, that you have this facet too. You're, you're much more multifaceted and you have much more depth mm -hmm. than what you thought when you maybe started out. So, yeah, totally. So yeah. Awesome tool for yourself. Awesome tool for writers. Like, so yeah, if you're, if you don't know what the Enneagram is, pick up a book, check it out. It's really amazing, amazing tool. So can you talk about your, your current work, like your book project, your program, just give us an overview of what all that fun stuff is. It's all about glitter. <laughs> well, it's, 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 I actually wrote something about this the other day that I, um, yeah, it's it's been such a journey for me to um, since again my spiritual longing has always been driving me, but I've also seen how the difference in um, and I've really been on more contemplative. I've, I've actually done I think all types of spirituality. I've done the shamanistic path and I've I've done the the goddess movement and I've done the. Uh, the energetic path and I've, I, I, I have explored most of them, but, but the diamond approach is, is more of a contemplative path. And in, in, well, it's not contemplative. It's, it's very, it's hardcore work, <laughs> it's not complete. but it's, it's also, it has its roots in Buddhism and Sufism and depth psychology and energy work. So it, it comes from different, um, but it, it has some of that flavor where you're, you're, 
supported in meditation and supported in, in grounding, really getting grounded. And um, I, I think that one of the things what I'm what I'm learning is that there are really two frequencies we can talk about in this in particular with women like we have like and what has really not been I think appreciated that so much of spiritual practices is about leaving the body like the body is bad let's let's take off to the higher places where we are much more you know we're not burdened by you know this body with all its uh, yeah the higher the higher the higher self right like you hear that a lot in a lot of these spiritual practices yeah but also the higher self is often outside the body it's often the the perception that a higher self exists outside of of the body like we, we can talk about the chakra system which really kind of has that idea that it's you we as we are moving upwards we are moving to a higher, like there, there is a looking at the, the chakras is really a good way of saying this because it is an idea that the lower chakras are not where you should be. You should be at the higher chakras. And when I came to LA where most people are, you know, hang out in the fifth and the sixth chakra, like that was fantastic in the beginning. And then I was like, oh my God, I need grounding. I need grounded people. I was like, I need that. But but this is uh, so a lot what i'm i'm teaching is that when you get really deeply embodied and um um in in and really bringing in the lower parts of our body um we um we it's can be an entry to um a really deep opening and and I, I hear I really want to talk about life force <laughs> this sort of thing. So I will not talk about this. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to be like be careful of the words I'm using here. But but it's like it's it's, it's okay. I'm going to now I'm becoming really cryptic here. <laughs> that was my interest. Uh, but anyhow, so but I I do think there there is um uh, we 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 cut ourselves off from our deepest places of access and i think that for so many women i worked with it's not about leaving the body because it's so easy for us to dissociate and now i'm talking very broad strokes here and 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 also using women all of that you know it's broad strokes here so not generalizing too much but there is something about that historically we've had this disgust of the body and the more baser we get the the badder it is essentially and it's really done a disservice to women and um uh, i think that's i'm very passionate about bringing in uh, that which we believe it's it's kind of any shadow work really when we and and i don't even want to say that what i'm doing is shadow work because i don't feel that that is the right term but whatever we don't want to look at whatever we reject is going to bite us in our ass and is also taking away the potential for i i like that some have talked about like when you're going down it's soul work and when you're going up it's spirit work and the way I work and that I see that um, 
when I talk about the glitter frequency, it's a combination of soul and spirit work. It's you're accessing and it really comes through pleasure. Like when you have that and it is a bit of that, like uh, the flirtatious kind of, um, but it actually is operating at in a way really high upper frequency, but it's informed by kind of our basis. Like it's, it's both and, and I really love both and I'm, I'm a both and kind of gal and, 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 and it's, um, yeah. Uh, so, so, and again, I think this meeting between soul and spirit is through the body, not beside the body or above the body uh, or outside the body. And, um, yeah. So, um, okay. So now I got totally, totally sidetracked trying to, so anyhow, but I, I work with women. I also work, it's, since I have a leadership background, I really think that this is for almost all women I work with come in with being high achievers, being good girls, totally focused on saving others or saving the planet or something like that. There, there is an outward orientation that is also creating a lot of stress on the nervous system. I, I work a lot with the nervous system too. So there is such, um, the journey home is, is really starting is, uh, and like, what do I want? What am I longing for? Uh, and, and this is like these basic, basic questions. And this is really, I should also like, this is quite tantric informed. Um, but if, if you, you can even, I mean, in the beginning, and so I, I was at that, I didn't know what I, I mean, I knew what I wanted on a higher level, but not on a day to day level. I had no clue what I wanted. So the journey of starting like, what do I don't want? What is it I don't want? Okay, so that actually gives a lot of information. I don't want that, and I don't want that, and I don't want that. Okay, out of that, what is here? What what remains? <laughs> kind of, it's almost like or even starting like a detective story. <laughs> like, like, what remains then? Like, okay, so maybe, and and often I work with women in groups because women somehow this can only. It's so hard to transmit this one on one. It's really the like, and we see. I love this. I'll have what she's having, like in in a <laughs> Meg Ryan and Harry and Sally. But it's like uh, like this idea of that. Oh, she wants that. That looks fun. I want that. And also bringing even our envy and jealousy. Like, yeah, oh yeah, I want that, and I want that. And then we can have like it's opening up this. And if we can allow that, if, if we can even allow being jealous and envious and just seeing, okay, here's, here's a trace element of something I'm, I'm actually wanting, but I'm not somehow being in contact with, we can transform that. And then starting from there is like, Ooh, I'm, I'm now I want this and I want this. And, and, and you slowly start waking up and, and in the diamond approach, this is an essential quality. We talk about this as the yellow uh, essential. It's a hard quality, actually. Um, it has to do also with curiosity. But if we start waking up to what we, what our true hearts desire at the co- at the core, at in the beginning it might be, oh, I want that, 
material thing and I want that material thing and I, you know, we have all of that. But if we don't judge that, if we allow all of that to come through at a deeper level, it's the heart we are waking up, uh, these, these frequencies of the heart. And that actually has a bit of that vibration. I'm talking about the glitter. Uh, or like champagne bubbles, and 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 then you add a few other of these essential qualities, which is really how I work without really talking about it. <laughs> you, you start waking up these these essential um, uh, aspects of us, and when you when you get more in, in contact with that, you you do become more grounded, and you become um, you, you you it's it's you get access to your power and you become more here that the presence and I, and I work with a particular form of presence that is really embodied and has a fullness to it. And, um, and sometimes when you can see spiritual people, you can, you can actually feel like that, that there is something about a fullness of an expression and I love that. I can sit at someone's lap like, oh my God, give me more of that fullness. There is like, there is a transmission, there is a frequency there, but it's also like a, it's not an empty frequency or like a, a vast frequency that can be really cool too, but there's a fullness that is for me, from my, I'm, I'm not, I do not have a secure attachment. I'm working towards a secure attachment. That's not, that's not where I started out. Yeah, yeah, we are. So, so it's like, but to recognize that we have access to that embodied full uh, presence. Uh, so that's usually when I talk about pleasure, power and presence when I work with women. And then all of that really translate into a very different way of leading because you come from a much, you're, you're sourcing from a much deeper place and your information even comes from a deep, deeper place. And when you move into like, if you take the business world, which is very masculine and very hard coded uh, towards deliveries and a lot of things are pretty hard if, if you want to be more in the feminine, if you keep coming back to, well, okay, so I'm noticing I'm totally contracting around this and now I've got an assignment I don't want to do. But if I focus on, well, what do I want in this situation? Well, what I would like to do is just take a bath or whatever and, and take a walk. Okay. So maybe I, I can't take a bath, but I can take a walk and I can come back. So what, 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 what do I want to do with this project? Actually, I don't really want to do this project, but I have another thing I actually would like to work on and maybe I can propose that project and maybe I can do this partially or I can find figure out a way to do so, so it's really of working with pleasure and our desires and, and our, our heart's longing um, and putting that into practice so I love that. No, it's fa your fa your work is fascinating, and I have to you know we've talked about it a lot, but I feel like I have to learn way more about it. <laughs> so, <laughs> thank you for sharing. Thank you for asking. So, so, out of all the things that you've done and learned and you know experienced, what do you? What's been the most important lesson out of your career, or the most important thing you would take away from all of the things? Okay, that was a big question. <laughs> well. If, if there would be one thing is, um, 
when I was a child, I was very, and that had to do with my upbringing, but I took myself very seriously. If there's anything I'm loving about getting older, and but it also comes because I've done a lot of work, is, is not taking myself so seriously to play with myself and like having that okay I did screw up here and owning that and taking it with you know not being so identified and that creates I think that's the lesson I I like life is so short and I and, and when I'm saying this I'm sound like I'm trying to <laughs> I keep getting stuck in this all the time but I that's that's why I love Romeo Hafiz and and and, and um, Kabir because they're all about that the lightness and the playfulness the dance of life, like uh, they they talk about Leela as uh, you know the cosmic dance, and if there's anything I actually the more the more I learn is that we are all here playing the cosmic dance and uh, to remember that that's yeah that would be my uh what i would say it's been most oh, beautiful me. that's beautiful i love that mm-hmm. it's definitely something i need to be working on <laughs> taking everything so seriously <laughs> so thank you for that <laughs> well this has been so fun thank you so much for coming on i'm so happy to have had this conversation with you it was really lovely. Thank you so much. And, and I hope this is of value to your listeners. And, um, yeah, absolutely. All right. Thanks. <laughs> so what did you think about that pod peeps? I hope you thought it was a good conversation. Um, I, I thought it was really fun. I really, I really love the Enneagram segment. I could talk about that all day. But I just love getting different types of writers and authors on the pod and, and having different types of conversations to help people really, you know, figure out what type of writing they want to do, how to bring their most authentic selves to whatever they're working on, and really just have fun with it. So that was my goal. I hope I've achieved it. I'd love to hear what resonated most with you on this episode. So let me know over on my Instagram page. You'll find that along with a link to all of Luvisa's things that she's doing in the show notes and make sure you subscribe to the podcast. If you enjoyed it, this is a new pod and it would be, it would really mean the world to me to get this information into the ears of anyone who needs it. So thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next week. Mm -hmm.